Welcome to Dental Dilemmas, brought to you by the ADA Council on Ethics, Bylaws, and Judicial Affairs. I'm your host, James Purvis. Today, using the ADA's Code of Ethics and Professional Conduct, we will analyze one of the Council's most popular ethical moments. Today's question is posed by Dr. Alma Clark in a previously published article from August of 2020. Dr. Jones works in a group practice. While Dr. Jones was on vacation, his colleague, Dr. Smith, treated one of Dr. Jones's patients, Ms. Franklin. Dr. Smith noticed an open crown margin and recurrent caries during an examination. Dr. Smith is concerned about the quality of care provided. This is the third examination discovery, and he feels some of the work done previously was substandard. What are Dr. Smith's ethical obligations? Joining us today, we are so thankful to have Dr. Alma Clark, the author of This Ethical Moment, with us. Dr. Clark, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you, Dr. Purvis, for having me today. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, If you wouldn't mind, uh, give us a brief background, who you are, where you practice, maybe how you got involved in the field of dentistry. Sure. I grew up in the 60s, and I'm a middle child. I'm the product of an African-American parent. My mother is of indigenous Indian descent, and we moved around a lot in the military. As I was growing up, I found that there was a lot of areas in which the communities had low income, and they required dentistry. So as a military brat, my father was stationed at many bases, and these areas were remote, and the remote areas needed dental treatment. So I never experienced such need uh, in, let me say this again. Mm-hmm. We moved around at a lot of military bases. And I say this because we as a family didn't experience a lot of hardships then, but my experiences that I found in the communities that I lived were quite transformative. And they expanded my compassion for wanting to help those in need. I worked as a Red Cross volunteer in the hospital, and I worked in the dental clinic. And that spurred me as I got older to apply for a public health service scholarship. And with that scholarship, I attended Chapman University in Orange, California, and I completed a degree in biology. I then went on to UCLA and acquired my doctor of dental surgery. And then I went on and obtained a master's in healthcare ethics from Creighton University. So this all began part of the ethical portion through my attendance in the American College of Dentists, who actually provided a scholarship for the ethics training. So as I continued to be a dentist, I participated in a lot of leadership activities. I served as my component. Let's try that part again. I served as a president of my component dental society. 
I then served as Judicial Council Chair for the State of California, for California Dental Association. And there we had a subcommittee on ethics, and we provided ethics training and presentations. So at the annual sessions, we would teach ethics and dentistry, as well as helping to provide our leaders in the local societies and the executive directors. I ended up serving on the Council on Ethics, Bylaws, and Judicial Affairs at the national level, and continued that work on the subcommittee for ethics. And we produced the Conscious Unconscious Bias course for the ADA. So ethical moments are just a way of speaking to dentists and letting them know some of the comments that we have regarding the use of the ADA code of ethics that we all abide to and have given an oath to follow as practicing dentists. What an amazing dental journey, dental ethics journey. That that's amazing to hear. I when you mentioned the the American college, just on, on a personal note, when I was in dental school. I was part of the uh, Student Professionalism and Ethics Association. It used to be uh, SPEC, the Student Professionalism and Ethics Club, but we became an association, and the ACD was just instrumental and so generous in allowing us to form that organization. They funded a lot of our travel. They were so supportive. So that's a really neat connection, and I so much admire your dental ethics journey. Well, thank you, but it's interesting that you know that you mentioned ASPIA, the student organization, because this spring we, as the ACD Northern Section in California, we helped them put on an ethics elective, and we were able to gather speakers from different, from different speakers from different areas throughout our California organization. And we were able to put on a nine-week ethics elective for the students. Well, looking at this particular ethical moment, uh, which I love, by by the way, this one hits home. I work in a moderate-sized group practice, and we we encounter things like this amongst each other, conversations to have, things to talk with patients about, and diagnosis, treatment planning. I, I so much admire this question in general. But if you were to if you were to hone it down, what principle from the ADA Code of Ethics really jumps to the forefront. Which one takes priority in in this situation? I would say veracity because we need to be open and we need to communicate with the patient as well as the doctor in terms of letting them know what we have discovered in terms of the patient care. The patient, if they are not aware of the situation, we need to let them know for their oral health. And the doctor, we need to communicate to him or her that we've found an area or a condition in the mouth that requires attention. Are there any other are there any other principles within the code of ethics that might come into play here besides veracity? Justice is very important here. It's important because we have the obligation to inform, again, the patient of their condition, but we also have the obligation to make sure that when we inform the patient, that we inform them in a way that does not 
speak disparagingly about the doctor that provided the treatment. We don't know under what conditions or what circumstances that treatment was provided. And as such, we simply need to make it clear to the patient that we see an open margin and that it needs to be addressed. Any other comment other than we we really can't say. So we need to be careful because sometimes doctors may make statements that could be, if they can't justify it, it could be a problem for the practice and for the patient. So let's just be sure that we're we're fair in our dealings with our colleagues by making sure that we only explain what we see and then communicate to them and allow them an opportunity to explain what's happened here and allow them an opportunity to speak to the patient and take care of that concern. In your years of practice, have you ever faced a situation like this, perhaps one that inspired you to even write the Ethical Moment article? And if so, how did you broach the subject uh, with the patient without undermining their confidence in the dentist that had been treating them? So that's a great question. Upon treating the patient, I let them know. I see a crown here. There's an opening. We see decay reforming in this area. We'll need to treat it. After going through that, the doctor, if the doctor's in the practice, I might take a break, let the patient know I'll be back with them in a few minutes, and I would actually go to the the doctor immediately and let him see what's going on. I mean, it could be that the doctor cemented the crown and he wasn't even aware that the crown did not fully see. He has no idea. And if he is there and he has time, I would let him see the patient right away and have a conversation and handle the situation in whatever manner he felt was appropriate. If the dentist is not available, I still might, if I had a few moments, pick up the phone, call the doctor in his practice, and let him know that I have a concern, and how would he like me to handle it? If the patient came in and they were already aware of the problem, and they said to me, I do not want to go back and to see Dr. Jones for the treatment because I saw him recently and I do not want him to work on me again, then then I would, again, speak with Dr. Jones and let him know. And then he and I can find out some way of determining how the work can be done and how we would cover payment and so forth. But we would go ahead and take care of the patient. Certainly. We would hope that the other doctor would be thankful that you were immediately forthcoming and in hearing the way that you handled this with the patient would be very happy to hear that you simply stated what you saw, went immediately to him or her to talk about the situation. Now, what if the doctor, however, were not happy about this? What if when you confronted the other dentist that perhaps they responded in a confrontational manner? How would you handle that? With empathy. I think that many, many times words matter. And I would then ask him, well, tell me, why do you feel that way? 
and I would try to obtain more information from him so I could try to figure out why he's upset. And empathy is also a part of caring for patients and part of our our ethics. We need to be able to find out why a person you know, have some compassion for them. And I would just simply try to ask open-ended questions to try to get him or her to come forward. And usually that works. They settle down a little bit. Well, I'll tell you why. And then once I find out what the concern is, I'm sure that we can find a way to make sure that that patient is taken care of. I love it. And that direct interaction and the courtesy that you show your your fellow colleague and the empathy that you show your fellow colleague, that, that goes a long way. Now, if you were to reach a situation where perhaps your colleague repeatedly were having this issues or they might not be as receptive to your conversations with them about these things, at, at what point might you look into some sort of mediation or peer review? or some other program offered by a state dental society or even the state itself, when, when would you begin to go down that road? So that's a great question, depending on the setting. If, if it were a group practice, many times they have internal programs of quality assurance. And I know that in some government programs, which I actually have worked in private practice, I've worked in community clinics, and I have also managed government programs. Within our program, each dentist is peer-reviewed every six months, so twice a year. So we would be able to handle that within the governmental program. We would simply uh, call a peer review for cause. We would take a look, again, talk to the doctor, obtain information, try to ascertain what's going on, and then let someone investigate and look into the matter. If there are continuous, multiple instances of, of uh, faulty uh, dental treatments, however, the majority of individuals are in private practice, and this may be a patient that does not, is not being treated by a group practice. If one is concerned, and because we have the social contract, which means that the profession of dentistry has told society that we will hold the patient's best interests first. We need to make sure that as dentists, we all are practicing the highest standard and providing the best care that we are capable of. If there's a question, we can simply follow up with a local or constituent society and just let them know your concerns and then let them look into the matter. They have individuals there and committees that that can handle these sorts of things and they can find out if this is in fact an issue or not. And they can follow up with their, hopefully it is a member dentist. I have to share with our, our listeners something that I read in your ethical moment that you touched on, but it, it really struck me, and I, I think it would benefit our listeners just to hear it. It's in, it's in the last paragraph, and you started by saying, and I quote, the nature of the professional social contract consists first and foremost in it being a contract not among dentists, but between the profession and society. And I think you touched on that beautifully in your last comments, and I love how you have weaved 
within this ethical moment, empathy toward other providers, veracity toward the patient. I think of all potential ethical moments, this touches on about every mark that we could possibly tick. And so we're just super thankful that you were here with us and willing to share your time. Now, in closing, I can't help but ask, because I greatly admire you and your journey, and I really, I've loved this conversation, but what does being an ethical dentist mean to you? And how do you apply the ADA Code of Ethics to your everyday practice? So being ethical to me is doing the right thing. We all come from different backgrounds. We all have different experiences. And so ethics isn't a hard and fast term, but doing the right thing is what it means to me. As we face a lot of changes and disagreements and so forth in our practices. I find that the principles in general are very helpful. If I have a problem with a patient who comes in and if in our group practice, the patient says, I don't want him to treat me. And someone comes to me and says, Dr. Clark, this patient will not see Dr. So-and-so. I will go to the patient and try to find out what's going on. But remember that the patient has autonomy and they have a right to self-determination. And you may find out that if you speak with them, it's a female from a culturally different background. And her concern is she can't be treated by a male patient. So then looking into that, we'll find that we're able to go ahead and perhaps have her be seen by one of our female doctors. And then we're fine. But that is using the principle of autonomy. Justice, who receives care and who doesn't receive care. Sometimes someone will come in, they're in emergency, they need to be seen now. Everyone has a full schedule. Who's going to see this patient? It's near the end of the day. Well, we need to see the patient. This patient's oral health is important. We'll have to bump someone on a schedule if we can, or treat, do a little bit less on one patient so that we can have the patient be seen. It could be that one of the other doctors has a an opening in their schedule, but we will fit them in because we want to make sure that in terms of non-maleficence, we're doing no harm. And so I use these all the time when I have to make difficult decisions. So I use them all the time. The principles of ethics. So, Dr. Clark, I serve on the new dentist committee for the ADA, and I, I'm so thankful that I get to serve as the MDC member with, with CJA. So, I can't help but ask, what advice would you give to a recently graduated new dentist, especially as it pertains to dental ethics? I would uh, tell them that the ADA principles and code of conduct are really important. I would, if they don't have a booklet of the principles, I would encourage them to become familiar with those because they will help guide you in your daily decision making. I think that, again, there are other ethical principles such as empathy, such as competence that are important. Don't practice beyond your scope. If, for example, someone has asked you to perform a procedure that you're not fully competent in, 
let someone know and perhaps let someone else handle that case while you obtain more education in that area. I think, too, that being tolerant of others, understand that this country is becoming very, very diverse, be culturally aware, understand that that will help you in terms of understanding patients because sometimes a patient may not accept a treatment plan. But if you ask questions and try to establish a relationship of trust, the patient a doc, dentist relationship is built on trust. And if you build trust, they will try to understand what you're recommending and follow your plan. So I think that patient relationships is really important. And if, for example, you do get in trouble with the dental treatment, if they, if you have a trusting, honest relationship, it will be easier to take care of any problem that may occur in terms of their patient care. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Clark, I, I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us today. Are there any final thoughts you have about this particular ethical moment or anything you'd like our, our listeners to hear? I think the, the privilege of being a dentist comes with a responsibility to society and to our, our fellow dentists. We need to conduct, conduct our professional activities in a highly ethical manner. As ADA members, we all agree to abide by our code of ethics. And this generally pertains to our service to the public, our conduct in the dental office, and between dental practitioners and how our dental practices and how our services are promoted. So I think that the code of ethics really allows dentists to build public trust and maintain high ethical standards for the benefit of all. So thank you so much for having me here today. It's been a pleasure. The pleasure is mine. The Council on Ethics, Bylaws, Judicial Affairs, we, we thank you for your service. We thank you for your willingness to spend today with us to talk about this ethical moment. And again, we really appreciate your time. Dr. Clark, thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you. A final note about the episode. Please see the show notes for a link to the original article and stay tuned for future episodes. At the close of the episode, continue listening to hear the sections of the ADA's Principles of Ethics and Code of Professional Conduct pertinent to the original Ethical Moment article. This article discusses four sections of the ADA's Principles of Ethics and Code of Professional Conduct. These sections are as follows. First, the principle of non-maleficence, or do no harm. This principle expresses the concept that professionals have a duty to protect the patient from harm. Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligations include keeping knowledge and skills current, knowing one's own limitations and when to refer to a specialist or other professional, and knowing when and under what circumstances delegation of patient care to auxiliaries is appropriate. Next, patient autonomy or self-governance. This principle expresses the concept that professionals have a duty to treat the patient according to the patient's desires, within the bounds of accepted treatment, and to protect the patient's confidentiality. Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligations include involving patients in treatment decisions in a meaningful way, with due consideration being given to the patient's needs, desires, and abilities, and safeguarding the patient's privacy. 
Next is the principle of justice or fairness. This principle expresses the concept that professionals have a duty to be fair in their dealings with patients, colleagues, and society. Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligations include dealing with people justly and delivering dental care without prejudice. In its broadest sense, this principle expresses the concept that the dental profession should actively seek allies throughout society on specific activities that will help improve access to care for all. Finally, the principle of veracity or truthfulness. This principle expresses the concept that professionals have a duty to be honest and trustworthy in their dealings with people. Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligations include respecting the position of trust inherent in the dentist-patient relationship, communicating truthfully and without deception, and maintaining intellectual integrity. Remember to keep ethics at the forefront of your daily practice and stay tuned as Siebja decodes dental dilemmas.